Welcome back to our Anchored series. Over the next few weeks, we're going through a number of psalms that really express to us some of the promises that God has made to us that we can hold on to even during uncertain times. And as a part of that, we wanted to let you know about some other resources that we are making available to just kind of help you do that. Stuff that we have specifically designed for you right here at our Horizon community. And so one of those things is something that we call a pathway to prayer. And essentially what this is, is it's a guide to walk through several other psalms to give you a chance to explore a little bit of what God's promises are, what it looks like to dig deeper into that, to to see what it means for me right now, and then chances just to try it for yourself, to really begin to understand what it looks like to just talk to God about real emotions, real thoughts, real questions. And as a part of that, we'll be releasing small videos that go with them. So whether you just want to watch a video or two here and there, or you want to deep dive in the guide, um, whatever you feel drawn to, I I think you'll enjoy. And so we actually will have this as a PDF on our website. Um, If you prefer a hard copy, you like to jot some notes in it, you can do that as well. And so I'd encourage you, um, if you'd like to check that out, and today I invite you to enjoy a message from our friend, Beth Guckenberger. Good morning, Horizon Community Church. My name is Beth Kuchenberger, and it is my total privilege to share with you something that God has laid on my heart out of the book of Psalms. I'm excited to be a part of this Psalm series. During this season that we're all experienced, there's a lot of good wisdom and comfort and encouragement and conviction that come out of the Psalms. And Psalm 121, where we'll camp out today, is really no exception. In my day job, I work with back-to-back ministries. We're an international uh, orphan care organization. We work with orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. In the middle of this COVID crisis, um, as of the recording of this um, conversation with you, we have over a billion children out of school around the world in over 100 nations. That puts children three times more likely to experience violence in those unsupervised and unstable environments. And those vulnerable kids are the ones that we spend our day um, learning about and, and extending ourselves on their behalf and going to them and lifting them up. And it is in that work with vulnerable children that I discovered a uh, Christian psychiatrist named Dr. Kurt Thompson. And he has this, um, ex- this saying where he says that every child is born into the world looking for someone who's looking for them. And really, we never stop. We have this ongoing question throughout our whole life. Is anybody... Does anybody see me? Does anybody know that I'm here? Does anyone want to help me? Does anybody care about me? Is anybody looking after me? And if you've had any of those questions during this season we find ourselves in, does God see us? Does he hear us? Does he know what's going on in our lives? Does he care about the things that we are wrestling through and experiencing in the disappointment or expectations we have or, or physical pain or emotional pain? Does he see us? Those are the questions we'll answer in this, uh, in this psalm. It starts out in this psalm, uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence, does, from whence comes my help. And that... That idea that God wants to help us, that, that reminds me of this time 
I was 16 years old. I grew up here in the Cincinnati area, and I was working over at Kings Island, and I worked on this roller coaster called The Beast. They still have that ride there if you've had a chance to ride it. And after work every Saturday night, the crew would get together at different people's houses, and they would have a party. And I was only 16 years old, and that felt really intimidating to me, and that scene wasn't really my scene. So every Saturday, I would tell them I wasn't able to go. But finally, one Saturday, I was just tired of missing out on all that, that they were a part of. So I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll totally join you. And I wasn't sure my parents would let me do something like that. So I didn't tell them where I was going. I just got in my car and followed one of my crewmates from Mason, Ohio, where Kings Island is, over to where their house was near Perfect North um, Ski Slopes over in Indiana. And I, I knew that we were driving a long time, but I wasn't paying attention to much more than the bumper of the car in front of me. We got to the party, and I was only there like maybe 15 minutes or so, and I realized it wasn't really my scene. I had kind of a pit in my stomach, and they were doing things that I was uncomfortable with, and I knew I, I needed to leave, but nobody else was ready to leave after 15 minutes. So I got back in my car by myself and kind of retraced my steps back to get on the highway, and I headed back to my home, which was near Kings Island. And if you've ever driven from Perfect North back to Cincinnati, there's one part where 275 splits. And the highway signs said, did you want to go to Cincinnati or did you want to go to Columbus? And I wasn't really sure which highway to choose, other than I knew I didn't live in Columbus. I knew I lived in Cincinnati. So I chose the Cincinnati route, which, you know, a hot second later, I was crossing over the bridge over that river and landing myself in Kentucky. And when I, when I saw the welcome to Kentucky sign, I started to cry because I had started off in northern Cincinnati, had spent a hot second over there in Indiana, and now I was in Kentucky. And three states later, I knew that I needed some help. And in those days, we didn't have cell phones or GPSs. My only choice was to find a quarter under my seat of my car and find a payphone to call. And the only number I had memorized was my home phone. And when my dad answered that phone late at night, thinking I was spending the night at my friend's house just down the road, I didn't even give him a chance to say anything. I just immediately began to say, I know you'll be really sad and disappointed, but this is where I ended up. And I thought I was going to this place and I was in Indiana. Now I think I'm in Kentucky and I don't know how to get home. And when he finally, when I finally took a breath and he had a chance to talk, he said, I'm really glad you called me. Just tell me where you are and I'll lead you home. And my dad was a great dad, but really he's a shadow reflection of the heavenly father that we have. And sometimes during this season, we might have found ourselves taking a wrong turn somewhere down the road. And we've realized that we need help. And the question is, where's our help going to come from? And especially if one of the wrong turns that you took, you took at your own hand. You, I mean, I thought for sure he wouldn't want to help me because I kind of got myself into this mess. It's a little bit easier to ask for help when we feel like we're the victim of someone else's circumstances or choices. But when we've done something to ourselves, does he still want to help us? And the answer to that question is yes, it goes on to say in that passage, my help it comes from the Lord who made heaven and who made earth. And I love this idea. This, this psalm is called a psalm of ascent. That means that David wrote it about the journey he was on somewhere, not about the destination that he was going to. And I think that's a really good principle for me to remember that in this season that we're experiencing, that God is just as interested in our journey as he is in when it'll all be over. And my prayer has been like, I, I've been sometimes in some days fixated on what will it be like when this is all done? What, how fast can we get to the other side of this? 
but I have been trying to remind myself that it's just as important for me to do what I, the day that I'm in well. I've been asking myself, like, if I do this right, what can God grow up inside of me? What can God do through me? How can his kingdom expand through me? If I submit to him in the, in the process, in the ascent, and not just in the destination. I heard someone say today, plan A is not even an option. What I hoped would be plan B isn't working. No worries. We have 24 other letters in the alphabet. And that's the spirit of someone who understands we're going to get where we're going to get in the timing that God has for us. And it's just up to us to be a part of that journey and to be a part of that story. That's where our help will meet us in the middle of the journey, not just when we get to the other side. The, the proverb, the psalm, I'm sorry, goes on to, to say, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps over you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber, nor shall he sleep. This idea of our foot not moving, I don't know if you've ever been mountain climbing or if you, if you can think of a moment where where you were standing was really important and you didn't want to be moved. God would reference the, that idea of standing strong in Ephesians 6. Do you remember that passage? That's the armor of God passage. It says things like take, sta- take a stand against the devil's schemes and stand our ground so that our foot literally won't be moved. The idea that we stand somewhere in the standing of where our feet are as a believer, it's pretty impressive. Romans says that we can stand in grace. 1 Corinthians 15 says we should stand in the good news of the gospel. Uh, It also goes on to say that we should stand in courage and in strength. 2 Corinthians says we should stand in our faith. Galatians says we should stand in the freedom that he offers of us. Philippians talks about how we should stand with the Lord in unity. There's a lot of things that we should stand on and that our foot not be moved. And he will keep us. In fact, it'll say it six times in this psalm that he will keep us. He will preserve us. And the the word that they use for keep and preserve is this Hebrew word shamar. And shamar, it it draws its imagery from a shepherd and sheep, that idea, that kind of thinking. Imagine a shepherd is somewhere out in the fields and he needs to keep his sheep together, but he's not anywhere near where where he has a pen or where he has some kind of stable. So what he does is he gets these thorny bushes and he creates a barrier around the sheep and it does two things. It keeps the sheep inside safe and protected from wandering off someplace where they could get hurt. And it also keeps away the things, the predators who might be trying to come and get in. In fact, that same word shamar that he uses about how he's going to keep us or preserve us, we can see in the book of Numbers in that blessing that the Lord's face will shine upon us. He will keep us and protect us. We see, we see that idea in scripture a lot that he wants to put a hedge around us that he wants to keep and preserve us so that we can be safe where he has led us to and he can keep away that which wants to attack. But sometimes we find that, that place that he's, he's drawn us into and our sinful, rebellious nature wants to buck up against it. Right? We want to push against. We think maybe, maybe life is a little bit better on the outside of these thorn bushes. I don't want you to keep and preserve me. We, we sometimes don't appreciate the extension of the Father's hand towards us in that moment. It reminds me, the same dad that told helped me get home that night from Kentucky, uh, shortly after decided he wanted to teach me a lesson about making up my own rules and lying when I, had, uh, when I knew better. 
He wanted me to understand the boundaries put around me were to preserve and to keep me and not for my confinement, not for me to come up against. And he took me on a Sunday drive. We were on a daddy-daughter drive. We were driving north on Montgomery Road, which if you go north enough on Montgomery Road, it gets called uh, 22 and 3. There's just a bunch of farms out there. And we were out there in those farms and we were driving and we were noticing all these cows and the cows were pushing up against the fences. And you could see the fences were bowing out to the road. And my dad commented how silly those, those cows looked pushing up against the fence when they had all the green pasture to roam in. And I said something that I had learned in biology class that the size of a cow brain is like the size of a human fist. They're just giant animals with little tiny brains. And about a mile after that observation, my dad looked over at me and he said, you know what, I feel an awful lot like that fence these days. And you seem an awful lot like that cow. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing against me. And my fence is bowing and bowing out towards the road. You've been given all the screen pasture. And yet you're trying to break through and get to the road. And I got this look on my face that teenagers get when you assume that someone's about to tell you about all the terrible dangers that we're going to find at the road. But instead of him telling me about what was in the road, he spent the rest of our time together telling me how good it is in that pasture. How sweet it feels to be kept and preserved, to have that shamar around me, to have that sense of protection where that which would hurt me could not come in. And I remember feeling like, well, the whole world's telling me that goodness is out there in the road, but you who I trust, if you're telling me that's found inside of that sheepfold, then that's where I want to stay. That's where I'll be grateful that he'll do that for me. It says in that Psalm that he'll never slumber or sleep. And it I like this. There's a story in 1 Kings 18. It's the story of Elijah. Elijah's so fun to study, right? He, in this passage, he's facing down the Baal prophets and he, he's taunting them, his God against their God. And, he, and they're trying to light up altars. And the first God to light up the altar is the king of kings. And he, he even puts water on his altar to make it a big deal. And, the, and the, Baal, the Baal altar is not getting any action. It's not lining up because, of course, there is no power in that God. And he starts to taunt him. And he says in verse 27, perhaps your God is sleeping and needs to be awakened. And we can be confident that our God literally, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. There's this story that Charles um, Spurgeon, the theologian, tells. It's a story about a woman in the east who had um, some, some things stolen from her property. And she went before the sultan and asked if he would compensate her for that which had been stolen from her house. And, she says, and he says to her, well, how did, it get, how did it happen? Like, how did it get stolen out of your house? And she said, well, I fell asleep. And he said, well, why did you fall asleep? And she said, because I trusted that you would stay awake. And so delighted by her answer, he, he ordered that everything that had been taken for her be compensated fully. And I think that there's delight in the Lord to stay awake. There's delight in, in him to, to take off of our hands and our minds and our hearts and our plates that which can keep us up at night. I don't know about you, but during this season, I found myself waking up in the middle of the night with worry and anxiety and concern that I couldn't have even imagined a few months ago. And the Lord, when I wake up in the middle of the night, says, listen, I'm awake. I'm never going to sleep. I'm never going to slumber. That which you're staying awake, worrying about, give over to me. Trust me with it. I'll take, I'll take it in my hands.
It goes on in this passage to say, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor can the moon strike you by night. This, this idea of God being our keeper and our shade, that word that we draw that uh, translation out of the Hebrew is this Hebrew word zel. It's this idea that, that he's gonna come and rest, that we can rest underneath that which he has over us. And resting is different than escaping. It's more like retreat. I don't know in this season, if there've been moments when you felt like things are just too much and you don't know, you can't think it about it anymore. You can't feel it anymore. You can't put your hands around it. You can't figure out, you don't know how to fix it. And we have temptations when we get to that stretching point, that breaking point. We have two choices. We can go and escape somewhere or we can go and retreat. And his invitation to us is come retreat with me. Come sit underneath my shade. That word shade we'll also see in Psalm 91.1. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the zeal and the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Growing up, my mom used to tell me that Psalm 91.1 was the 911 verse. It's the place that you go when you're out of options, when you're having really big feelings you don't know how to manage, when you literally feel overwhelmed or hopeless, or those exhausting emotions that take us really to the edge of our character. When we get to that place where we are just in a full out panic, we can rest in the shelter of the shadow and under, under that shade of the Almighty. I remember one time Todd and I had a foster daughter who lived with us for a number of years and she ran away from home. She was 17 years old and I was totally panicked. I, was, I knew exactly what the world would hold for someone, 17 years old, 110 pounds, defenseless in the world. I was scared out of my mind and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't get my hands around it. I didn't know where she was. I couldn't control anything. I went immediately to Psalm 91.1 and in that space I said, I'm going to sit under the shelter of you and I'm going to rest in this shade. And in that space, the Lord met me and ministered to me. And you know what he said to me? You've never been her shade and you've never been her shelter. That's what you're afraid of. That now that she's out of your shade and your shelter, she's unsheltered. But here's the truth. I've never left her. I won't ever leave her. Wherever she goes, my hand will follow her. Psalm, in this Psalm 121, it talks about the sun striking or some translations talk about smiting you. Um, it can also be translated as hitting or attacking or striking down. Uh, that's why it says um, that, that, I mean, that's why the Lord sent a, a pillar of cloud to be with the Israelites during the day. So the sun literally couldn't attack them. He couldn't strike them. It couldn't smite them. Uh, I was a missionary in Mexico for 15 years and we would, the word in Spanish is picar, like the sun, they literally say is it, the sun can bite you. So when the Lord wants to protect us, he sends a cloud so that sun can't bite us, so it can't strike us. And then this, the Lord would also send a pillar of fire at night because they, were, they would think that the, the moon and its coolness would, would come and it, and it would attack us by night. So whether the sun was getting us by day or the moon by night, it doesn't matter. The Lord will be with us. He'll protect us from any of the elements that want to come. 
You'll also see shade used in the Bible as a form of protection. There's a passage in um, the book of Numbers where Joshua is telling um, God's people, don't worry, the Canaanites will not be able to win because their protection, literally their zeal, their shade, has been removed from them. Without shade, it's impossible to survive in that land. And if their shade has been removed, they're now defenseless. The Lord says, you'll never be without my shade. I'll never leave you defenseless. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, no matter how your emotions feel like they're going to overwhelm me, come overwhelm you, come sit with me. Come sit under this space. He goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 32 too, he says, each one of you is gonna be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like a stream of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. I mean, this is, I think this is a version of the Great Commission. He's saying, once you realize how good the shade feels, once you get everything that God has for you in the shade, once you get rested up, strengthened up, encouraged up, filled up, now go, each one of you, and be that in the desert. Go find people who are, who are feeling all the pain that this season is bringing on. Go find them and tell them, I'll, I'm here for you. I'm gonna give you out of the abundance which was has given to me. I'm gonna share, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend myself on your behalf. And when we do that, we look like Jesus. The Bible in the New Testament talks about how we are part of the kingdom of priests. And a priest looks like their God. And so he says, if, you, if, you're, gonna, if you're gonna call yourself my, my child, and you, you need to go out there and look like me. And what am I doing? I'm shading people. So go out there and shade people in my name out of that which I have first done for you. Todd and I, my husband and I, um, have been taking care of a young woman for the last five years. She entered into our family um, in a vulnerable place. She turned 21 this last year. And on her birthday, I was asking her some questions about if she had any stories that have ever been told her about the day she was born. I wasn't there and I didn't know if she knew anything about it. And she was kind of uncomfortable about my questions, but I was pressing a little bit. I've been in lots of conversations like that. So I was making my way through it, just trying to, just trying to meet her in that vulnerable space. But Todd was in the room, but not really in the conversation. He was kind of out of the conversation and he piped up listening to what we were saying. He kind of has a, a salt of the earth kind of faith. And he, he just spoke up to her. He said, hey, listen, People make a big deal about where you're from. I don't think it's a big deal about where you're from. I think it's a big deal where you belong. And you belong right here. And that, I can tell you, everything about her life changed in the last year once she heard those words from someone in a position of authority that put to rest the questions that she had in her mind, like, is this ever going to end? Are they going to one day be tired of me? Now that I'm 21, are they going to give up on me? Do they really feel about me like... Are they tired of me being around? Like all the questions that might've been in her mind, someone in authority answered and settled those questions and now she can go and live as, as God intended for her to live in a place where she belongs. God would write in the book of John that we are children of God. We get to live like we're children of God. When the Lord tells us, hey, I'm gonna be your shade. I'm going to, I'm gonna not let the sun strike you by day or the moon by night. He is a person of authority answering our questions. We don't have to wonder, is the shoe gonna drop? Am I not gonna be able to actually make it or take this any farther? He's settling those questions in our mind so we can make sure that from here on out, everything changes. 
that we can walk in the confidence of knowing that someone has shaded us. The, the psalm goes on to say and finish up by saying, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even for forevermore. I like the way that he ends. I, I want to be really clear that it doesn't mean that when it says he'll preserve you, again, he's saying that word over and over again, keeping, preserving. When he, when he says he's going to preserve us from evil, it's not that hard things won't happen to us. Some of us are in the middle of some hard things right now in this season. It just means he's not going to leave you alone in them. He's going to leave you well armed. That we have authority as his child to fight against an enemy and an evil that wants to take us out. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual warfare, we imagine evil and good as being characters of the same size. These are not characters of the same size. In fact, it reminds me of Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I want you to just again put in your mind that image of a shepherd. That shepherd has a staff. We always see pictures, right? Think of any Christian art with a shepherd. He always has a staff. That staff is to guide and, and point in the right direction and to keep together his sheep. But he also has a rod in his other hand. And what do we have rods for? We have rods to beat off the things that are coming to attack. Our great shepherd has a rod and he's going to beat away the evil that wants to come at us. He, we are well protected. That doesn't mean it's not gonna try. It doesn't mean that it's not gonna try to take us out. But no matter what comes at us, God is there fighting alongside of us. It says in that, pas- in that passage that, He's going to preserve our soul. And our soul gets preserved, kept guarded from many things. It gets, it gets kept from the domination of sin. Sin doesn't have to take over our nature. No matter how tempting or how familiar or how comforting any sin might be, it doesn't, we, it doesn't have to dominate us. The Lord wants to protect us from that sin nature that, that tries to destroy us. We can be protected from that crush of things like hopelessness, and despair. He wants to save, preserve our soul from that. He wants to lift it up, put and deposit inside of that heart of ours things like hope and joy and mercy and peace. That's the gift he wants to give us as he preserves our soul. He wants to keep us for eternal things. We, we might be tempted to think, well, if he's going to preserve my soul, if he's going to keep me then I'm going to get a chance to avoid from here on out any desert that comes my way. Like that's part of the good shepherd. He's gonna lead me away from the desert. Well, actually in the Bible, you see the opposite. The Lord often takes his people into the desert. He took Isaiah into the desert. He took Abraham into the desert. He took Moses into the desert. He took Jesus into the desert. The word for desert in Hebrew is actually this word midbar and midbar is translated as place of the word. He allows us to go into a desert because he wants to meet us in that place with his word. And the consumption of that word strengthens our very soul and equips us for all that we're in the middle of. If we go into the desert and fight our whole time, we're going to miss in the gifts that he has for us. Are you in the middle of a desert right now? Have you been experiencing some, some times? Are you, are you just in the middle of this midbar? Are you allowing him to preserve your soul? Are you allowing him to keep you? to infuse your heart, to meet you with his word in a way that makes you feel strong. That's using muscles that you hadn't used before. That's what's happening to me. 
I've realized the Lord has been meeting me in this, in this midbar, in this desert and refining me and purifying me and squeezing out of me sins that I would rather have not looked at and asking me, extending me, calling me to do things, to be more generous than is natural for me, to be more patient than is natural for me, to be more self-controlled than is natural for me. And every time I extend myself and do something more than what is natural, that's called supernatural. And that's the gift he wants to give us in the desert. He, he wants to meet us in his word. He wants to meet us in this place of worship. The Psalms are often sung. He wants to meet us in this way and deposit this into our hearts so that we can pull on it in the moments when we have big feelings and hard, hard stories. Well, this last year ended with some heartbreak for me. It was a desert even before I knew the desert that we were going to go into now. This desert happened because um, Todd and I were loving. We had loved a woman for 19 years who had lived in our family. She was born an orphan and then was a widow. And when we lived in Mexico for 15 years, she lived with us. She was kind of like the Mexican grandma of our kids. I can remember after a decade of her living with us, we decided to try to apply for her to get a tourist visa so that she would be able to travel to the United States with our family. I can remember in that year, about 94, 93% of people who applied for tourist visas weren't getting them. But we decided even if it was just an exercise of good faith, we were going to go ahead and try so she could see our desire for her to come to the United States for the one month out of the year we would come here to raise funds and visit with family. And when the day came for her appointment at the embassy and we weren't allowed to go into that part of the building with her that she had an appointment for. So I gave her some clear instructions. She was someone who loved the Lord and she was always saying to the Lord things like, like everything I do, I do for the glory of you. Every all my work is, a, is an act of worship for you. So as she was washing the dishes, she was worshiping and everything was working for the Lord, she'd say. So I told her before she went in the appointment, I said, when they ask you what you're gonna do in the United States, you cannot say the word work. I know for you all work is God's work, but they take that word really seriously here and that's a whole other line we have to get you into if you're gonna go there to work. So this is just, you're just going to visit friends. So she goes into the into the appointment and we're outside just praying and she comes out and she's all excited and I was like what happened and on the visa scale there's like a big spectrum one side of the spectrum is a time limited visa which is what we had applied for her that she could come for two weeks at Christmas time in order to visit with some family with us the other side of that spectrum is a 10-year laser visa that's for people who own import export businesses and need to go back and cross the border really fluently so when she walked out, we asked her, like, what did they say? Did they give you your visa? And she said, they did. And I was like, oh, I cannot believe it. Because they look for things like, do you own any land? What's your level of education? She had a sixth grade education and owned no land. I was like, I can't believe it. I'm like, how many days did they give you? And she's like fumbling with her papers. And she's like, they gave me a 10-year laser visa. They gave you a 10-year laser visa? How in the world? No way. We look at her papers and I'm like, Todd, she, get, she got a 10-year laser visa. And I said, what did you say to them? And she said, I told them I was going to the United States to work for the Lord. And I said, oh, I told you not to say that. She's like, well, the guy said, well, we need a lot of him there, so come on in. She began to travel back and forth with us over the last decade. And a couple of years ago, Todd and I relocated to Cincinnati full time. And she would spend six months of her year here with us and six months in Mexico. And this last Mother's Day, I gave her a call. I was just um, gonna tell her Happy Mother's Day. 
And I realized she had a cough and she told me she'd had it for a while. So I started to pay attention to that cough. And by the, the next month or two, it wasn't going away. In fact, it was getting much worse. So in July, I brought her here to Cincinnati so she could have better medical care and I could supervise that. Between July and October, she was hospitalized three times for a lung infection called Valley Fever. And the last week of her life in October, um, she was in the hospital in, at UC. And the doctor came to talk to us about her prognosis. And he said, oh, this infection we've been battling for months, we're losing the fight. And I don't know how many more days or weeks she has left, but I know that we're not going to win it. So that night, Todd and I sat down with her and just, I said, oh, I know you love to worship, right? I know I, you, you're always singing, singing the Psalms, singing. And I I said, I think you're going to be singing those songs on Streets of Gold sooner than I thought you were going to sing them. And she just closed her eyes and quoted a verse out of Romans that said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and rested that night. The next morning at the hospital, you know, they ask you those fitness questions to make sure you can make your own decisions, like what's your name and what year is it and who's your primary caregiver. And she was able to answer her name and my name and our year that next day pretty well. But as that week went on, that, that ability got less and less. And on Friday of that week, when she woke up that morning, she didn't know her name and she didn't know my name. And ugh, I just looked over at Todd and I started to cry because I knew we were at the end. And I curled up at the bottom of her hospital bed. She's like four foot 11, so there's plenty of room back there. And I just curled up and I started to sing to her a song that I had heard her sing almost every day for 19 years. It was her favorite worship song. It's a song in Spanish we don't have in English. It's, it's called Sumerhame. And I just started to sing the first verse of that song. It was comforting to me and I was hoping it was comforting to her. And then I got to the chorus of that song and she sang every one of those words with me. And I looked over at Todd and I said, where does worship go inside of us? But when we don't even remember our own name, we don't forget his. She would go later that day in peace into the arms of the Lord who had been guarding her and keeping her for the days of her life. And I, I think to myself, that's, that's why we study the Psalms. That's why we, 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 in that midbar, in that desert wilderness place, we, we meet him there in his word so that in the moments when we most need it, it's right there inside of us at the ready. When we're the most tender, the most confused, even at that point, the most weak, we don't forget who he is and all that he's done for us. I pray that as you look up your eyes to the hills, that you remember that he is where your help comes from and he'll be with you every step of the way until the very end. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you, you watch over us so that the sun doesn't hurt us by day or the moon by night. You are intimately aware of all the circumstances of our life, all the things that we're balancing and managing physically and emotionally and financially and spiritually, relationally. There's nothing going on in our life that you aren't aware of. So just... When it feels so much, Lord, shade us. Call us into that place where we can rest in your refuge. Fill us up with that which we don't have. Give us mercy and discernment and wisdom and peace and love, kindness, 
understanding, creativity. Give us what we need, Lord Jesus, so that we can live the life you've called us for. And so that each one of us will be a shelter to those who are out there still hurting, still wandering, still needing to know who you are and how you feel about them. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. We trust you when circumstances are exactly like we like them, and we trust you when circumstances are nothing like we like them. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask all of these things continue to deliver us from evil, protect us from all that's to come, keep us safely inside of that sheepfold. I pray this all with the authority of your son's name, Jesus, and I pray this in his name. Amen.